Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at the thepetecalendarshow.com. And on Twitter, it's at Pete Calendar. Uh, but I want to welcome to the program Corey Valencourt. He is a reporter at the Smoky Mountain News. And I uh, wanted to have him on today, uh, first off, because it's been a while since I talked to him, but also uh, some uh, really big news, devastating news, actually, to the uh, town of Canton and Haywood County out in western North Carolina. Uh, Corey, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Pete. Yeah, it has been a minute. I uh, always appreciate being on the show. I'm doing about as good as you can expect under the circumstances. Right. So this is, uh, for folks who may not be aware, Haywood County, uh, western North Carolina, Canton has a mill right in the middle of downtown uh, so what, do, and it's called the Pactiv, Pactiv Evergreen Mill. I, and so I always thought it was the Champion Mill. That's what I always heard it referred to as, but I guess that's a long time ago. Yeah, it's had a number of names over the years. It was founded in 1908 as the Champion Fiber Company, but since then it's gone through name changes, ownership changes. It was called Blue Ridge Paper when it was employee, employee owned, uh, and, most recently Evergreen, but Evergreen's parent company is Pactiv. They're based in Australia, I believe, and they employ about 16,000 people around the world, although that's about to drop by about 1,100. All right, so this plant, what does it make? So they make a variety of paper products, and uh, apparently the most popular, the most um, profitable for them are uh, beverage cup stock, and uh, those are often sold to um, companies that manufacture things like milk cartons or things that need to hold liquids. Um, I've had people tell me they've traveled abroad, places like Israel, and found products from Canton on the store shelves there. So it's a large international company, and uh, for 108 years it's been some variety of paper. And when I say it's in, the, it's in downtown, I mean, it's like the little downtown was built all around this, this plant. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Pete. I don't need to tell you uh, the impact of the mill, both uh, geographically, economically, and even culturally. It literally sits in the middle of town. It straddles the Pigeon River. It treats the town's wastewater, and it's provided a living and a little piece of the American dream to uh, generations of people here in western North Carolina. Yeah, we when Christy and I were looking to buy a house in Asheville area, we looked uh, in downtown Canton, uh, Canton for for that very reason because it's such a, a cool little downtown, and um, this. But the plant is huge, and people would often joke, you know, uh, about the smell that the paper mill makes. Uh, it smells like money. I heard that from when I first got there. People That's were right. saying that. Yeah. Um, all right. So what happened? Uh, I guess this occurred right about the same time that the governor was giving his state of the state speech, touting all of the economic growth and all of the businesses that are relocating to the state. Uh, right about the same time, uh, the folks in Canton were getting notified that the plant is closing. Yeah, you're absolutely right on Monday night. But the story goes back a little further than that. Uh, back in early February, I reported on what's called a curtailment. So they have four very large papermaking machines there, and they announced to workers on February 8th, I believe it was, that they were going to basically shut down one of those machines. And they cited lack of demand for product and full warehouses. 
they said it could be temporary, it could be permanent, they're going to preserve the ability of the machine to be restarted, but that was a big red flag for employees and for the local community. So in the intervening month, of course, you know um, the term rumor mill literally yeah. comes from this <laughs> mill, and we'd heard all sorts of things. People suspected layoffs. They suspected sale to um, another papermaking company, perhaps. I don't think anyone expected a complete closure, uh, but when I went to an employee meeting on Monday, uh, that's exactly what they announced to a group of uh, quite stunned employees. So what is the impact from a numbers perspective, number of employees and such, and what is the impact uh, to the local economy and, uh, and uh, the population? Yeah, those are the bottom lines, Pete. Um, so... There's 1,100 workers. You've got about eight or 900 at the Canton facility. And then there's also a facility in Waynesville where there's about 300 workers. They're going to keep that Waynesville uh, facility open. Company officials said they were exploring strategic alternatives for that facility. However, there's going to be a drastic workforce reduction there. So you're going to lose probably 200 or 250 employees at that place. So we're looking at about 1,000 jobs uh, that are about to evaporate. Now, that can be misleading because, you know, there's all kinds of metrics out there for how many contractors and how many other jobs support each manufacturing job. I've heard it's as high as nine supporting jobs per manufacturing job. I don't know if that's uh, completely accurate, but we can all understand that a large operation like this, uh, they purchase things from the local community. They purchase uh, liquid propane. They purchase lawn care services or janitorial services or mechanics who fix uh, certain machines or, you know, all of those things. So this is going to affect the companies that also supply the mill. And as you know, a lot of this workforce does not live in Haywood County. And mm-hmm. so this is, a, this is a regional story. It's not a Canton story, and it's not a Haywood County story. However, those are the two municipal governing boards that are going to have to deal with the fallout of this. Uh, yesterday, our county commission chairman, Kevin Ensley, said that uh, we're still all figuring out all of this, uh, but he said he expects the town of Canton to lose at least a million dollars in revenue, probably starting for next fiscal year, not this one. Uh, the, the county itself may lose a few million dollars in revenue, and so this is all going to have to be worked out, and uh, this is going to be a story we're going to be following probably for the rest of my career here in Western North Carolina. This yeah, oh, it's the same thing that yeah, it's the same thing that happened in the Charlotte area with the uh, with the mills, the textile mills that that, yes. that closed down you know twenty years ago after NAFTA, and they're just now. I mean, some of these places never did come back, but some of them are just now finding you know n- new industries and and new ways to make money and to keep people in their area. Um, now, I will say that, that good. Good on the executives, because as I understand it, a couple of them, according to your report, made almost just, I guess it's coincidentally, a really great move for their own retirement portfolios. Yeah, it looks like they were very fortunate, Pete. Uh, Four days before the announcement to workers, um, I located some stock transactions. Directors of these companies have to disclose transactions dealing with their own entity. And so we saw almost... um, Almost seven hundred thousand, I think it was six hundred and sixty thousand dollars worth of stock transactions by the CEO and one of the division presidents and the legal counsel. And so uh obviously there are legal ways to do this and illegal ways to do this. I'm still researching and trying to speak to people who can testify to whether or not this is 
a uh, violation of the law, but uh, the reaction to that particular segment of my story has been, if it's not illegal, um, it's quite possibly immoral, uh, especially as you've just laid off a thousand workers. Yeah. You lay off a thousand workers and right before the news hits and your stock tanks, you know, from what, $11 and change a share down to like nine bucks a share, you cash out. Um, and I think what you tallied it is like, like more than half a million dollars total among them all. Yeah, at least 600,000. I mean, again, they were incredibly fortunate to make this coincidental move. All at the same time. Yeah, I mean, what are the chances of that? All on the same day, yes. All those transactions took place on the same exact day. I also note that uh, it was just a few years ago, 2014, uh, that they got a whole bunch of money from North Carolina state taxpayers, right? $12 million for natural gas upgrades, and it was said at the time that this was supposed to put the... the uh, the mill and the company, you know, on, on firm ground. And this was going to be for the future. I didn't realize that it was only going to be like eight years. Yeah. That's another thing we're trying to unravel here. You know, this just, uh, this just kind of broke on Wednesday or I'm, I'm sorry, on Monday. And so all of us here are scrambling to chase down every available angle. And uh, that's another one. The biggest question is, are there clawbacks in that grant? Mm -hmm. I believe it's called the JMAC grant. And will uh, this company be on the hook for any sort of uh, paybacks for not fulfilling the contract? We don't know that, but in a press release that came out Monday night, it was more of an earnings report. The company did say that they would uh, they would take a hundred and thirty to one hundred eighty million dollar charge just for pulling out of Canton. So it costs money to leave, believe it or not, and satisfy your obligations. We don't know if that's one of them yet, but that's certainly something else we're looking at. And the last question I have before I let you run is, uh, what becomes of the building itself? That's a great question. We don't know if there's any value to the building or not. All we're hearing is secondhand information that it's not likely to be sold because if it was, it could be used by a competitor against Pactive Evergreen. However, uh, obviously it opens up a 130-acre site straddling the river. It could be transformational for the town of Canton. We've had a tough time attracting industry to Haywood County. Uh, personally, I don't see somebody swooping in to save the day. But that entire property is in the floodplain. So is it a golf course? Is it a public park? Does Evergreen sell it? Do they sit on it and let it brownfield for 30 years? Uh, again, these are questions that Western North Carolina journalists will follow for the rest of their careers. Yeah. Uh, brewery, maybe. A brewery? Okay. A, a giant Budweiser <laughs> brewery. That's right. Corey Valancourt from Smoky Mountain News. Thanks so much. Good to talk with you again. Sorry. Uh, give our best to everybody out there. Our, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with everybody Will going do, through Pete. this. Yeah. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate your time. All righty. So let me, uh, let me go over a couple more of these uh, details out of this out of this closing. So the Canton Mill in, uh, well, downtown Canton, I mean, it is it is a massive, massive building, 130 acres. And like Corey was saying, Corey Valancourt from Smoky Mountain News, uh, as he was saying, it straddles the river. It is huge. I mean, the road system in the downtown area are all around the mill. And from, an, from a business perspective, from a strategy standpoint, if you have the the property, and it's made to be a mill, obviously, you don't want your competitor to come in and uh, set up operations and then be able to compete with you with a skilled workforce that is existing right there. So there is an incentive for the company to just keep it. And he called, he said, you know, just allow it to turn into a brownfield. 
right? You just put locks on the door, chain up the gates, and then don't let anybody in the site. You just keep paying the property taxes on it because there's a there's a it's a better business calculation to just pay the taxes on it and not have to worry about somebody using it to undermine your uh, market share. And that's the worst thing for the downtown Canton area. But what else could it be used for? Again, 130 acres. It's massive. And it is a, I mean, it's a mill. It's an industrial building. And and even if you could convert it, I was, you know, joking with uh, a friend of mine every, uh, well, former colleague, every Wednesday morning I join uh, my uh, my old colleague up in Asheville for for a weekly chat on his radio show there. And, you know, I I joked, you could turn it into lofts, right? Because that's what everybody's doing, right? But but the the rooftops, yes, you need the rooftops, but the rooftops don't come unless there are jobs for people to to go to. The mill is 100 years old. You're talking generational. And, And the Charlotte area, Piedmont area, we saw this 20 years ago with the closing of all the textile mills. And... You know, reimagining what these uh, what these buildings could be, and yes, they can be turned into, you know, I guess art space, studio space, that sort of stuff. But that's that's a very difficult lift. Beverage merchandising business—that's what they were mainly making. You know, uh, cups for Starbucks, McDonald's, that sort of thing. And as somebody who works in radio, I can tell you. Uh, this is that the industry, you know, has been going through much of these same types of iterations over the last 30 years or so. Massive rounds of layoffs and people getting fired. It's awful. It's awful. As of December 2022, the last month for which data was available for the from the North Carolina Department of Commerce, there were more than 28,600 people in Haywood County. And that is down from a high of about 29,000. So just a little bit, by about 1,000 people they lost. Unemployment has been very low. Were all of the mill's employees to be laid off all at once, their unemployment rate would end up about over 7%. There is a significant portion of that uh, workforce that lives outside of Haywood County, meaning it's going to affect all of western North Carolina counties that touch it. Tax ramifications, I was not aware. Uh, so they're going to lose like $1.3 million in their tax base maybe $300,000 in water revenue because they use so much water in the manufacturing process. But they are also, the mill does the wastewater treatment. So they're going to have to turn that over to the municipal government or the county government. Um, the local union leader, uh, what is it? The uh, uh, United Steelworkers, Local 507, he says what they're hearing secondhand is that the building is not going to be sold. That it's not going to be sold. So you're going to have this this massive mill sitting in downtown, serving no purpose. Yet the company that that owns it now, they say Evergreen is the name of the company. They say that they had to pay for all these repairs or upfits and renovations on the building, and it was too expensive. So that's why they're going to shut it down. But they won't let anybody else have it. It's just a terrible story, and uh, again, our, our our thoughts are with the people that live out there in uh, Western North Carolina, Haywood County. Uh, and the mill workers who are now going to be all uh, let go. So I'll give you some details also on the millions of dollars they got in state payments a couple years ago, you know, to help them convert to natural gas. 
So they got that going for them. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. American made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. Got an email here. I believe this is from Tim. Yep, Tim. He says, Pete, I used to work for a major machine supplier to the paper industry. I was looking recently at a list of paper converting mills that have closed over the past 20 years. And it seems that about half of the projects I worked on have closed down, like about 30 to 40 mills nationally. I think the following are the major factors contributing to these closings. Number one, increased environmental rules and laws. Most new machines are now built in East Asia. Number two, globalism. See number one. Number three, technology advances, not as much Writing papers are needed. Tissue and carton materials are still needed, though. Uh, And number four, lesser but still relevant up north is the unions. New businesses will probably never make up the lost wages and tax base from the mill. Um, This is a piece by uh, Jeremy. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the old one. Sorry. I will get to that. It's an older article I'm going to get to in a second. This is from Corey Valencourt's piece the other day when the news first broke. Uh, uh, Rumblings of trouble at the mill had been heard for some time. The company says it was almost exclusively a reflection of the market conditions along with the capital costs that would be needed to upgrade the facility. The closing will likely occur near the end of May or beginning of June. The economic impact of the mill's closing on Haywood County's economy will be substantial It's estimated there are around 1,200 jobs at stake in Canton, about 300 in Waynesville, not including all of the ancillary businesses that rise up around, you know, the one main industry. This was one of the things, remember, when they were building the NASCAR Hall of Fame here in Charlotte, one of the pitches was you have this large NASCAR racing industry around the Charlotte region, and by putting the the Hall of Fame here, um, you attract all of those ancillary businesses. You help, you know, the, the... the suppliers, the manufacturers of all of the race part equipment, you know, uh, uh, the crews and their families, and they go to school, but then they also go out to eat, and all of all of that economic activity around this mill or around the industry. Um, he goes on to say, workers will receive at least sixty days' notice. Some may be terminated sooner, but they'll still receive full pay and benefits for the sixty days. Some bit of good news, it's not a super fund site, so it can be redeveloped. But this is what the company said. In the last 15 months, there was a nice rebound from COVID. Since November, December, markets have gone to hell, for lack of a better way of saying that. It's not just us, it's everybody from a marketing standpoint. When we're looking at forecasts and when things might get better... If anything, I'll tell you, unfortunately, specific to the paper side of the business, it's only gotten flat to worse for the last 60 days. He said that's due to challenging economic conditions generally. People are choosing to eat more at home 
than at McDonald's or Starbucks. Huge consumers of paper products of all sorts. People just aren't printing things. There's a lack of demand. Why are people staying home and eating more? Did everybody get healthy all of a sudden? Everybody's like, oh, hey, hang on. Oh, I'm, I'm going to not get that Starbucks. Oh, oh I, I'm, I'm going to not get the... I'm going to not get the McDonald's today. Is that what's happening? Or is there something else going on? Might there be something larger going on? The town of Canton's fortunes have risen and fallen along with those of the mill for more than 100 years. The mill's closing will be transformational for the small town in ways both immediately apparent and not. Canton has been recognized as the little town that wouldn't stay down after surviving flooding in 2004, the Great Recession in 2008, COVID in 2020, and another deadly flood in August of 2021. And I got this tweet from my friend Tim at uh, Old Grouch's Military Surplus in Haywood County, who's listening on uh, on the stream here to WBT. It's already started here, Pete. My walk in business yesterday and today is zero. Restaurants are empty. Facebook Marketplace is flooded with cars, boats, and motorcycles just being dumped. Everybody is already in panic mode. Let me go here and uh, get John. Hello, John. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. How are you today? Hey, I'm all right. How are you? No, I just made the, the point that if the, if the group is smart, they will probably end up, you know, anytime a factory closes down, they're going to probably doze the buildings, right? So they don't have to pay the tax value on it. Um, unless it's more than, unless it costs more to bulldoze, right, than the taxes right. are. Yeah, I, I, and I have no idea well, with that. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a long-term hold. The other thing, too, is they'll also rip all the equipment out of there. Because if you think about it, most, most you know, and I don't know what Canton is, but most counties or, uh, or you know, government will turn around and tax you, your real estate value, and then all your equipment costs. Right. So normally, if you're smart... You'll rip out all the equipment, and you'll doze the building, and you'll have just a big field. But my other point was, you know, when they said, well, it's really sad that they don't do something with it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of America, right? It's theirs. Yeah, well, yeah. If they want to doze it and plant daisies, I guess that's up to them. Mm-hmm. If they were smart, they'd probably, you know, turn to somebody and say, okay, we'll, we'll sell it, but we want to deed restrict it against anything competitive and, right. and let the market go. Right. And if they're right. And if they're saying that the long term prospects for the industry, you know, are are negative, as they say in that statement. And if they're saying that the building needs all these upfits, then, you know, the chances of somebody coming in and using it for for competitive purposes is is low. So then, yeah, why not? Do a do a transfer, try to sell the property, maybe even get some buyer to do something with it, tear it all down themselves. You won't even have to pay that cost. Who knows? Um, right. So, I mean, all you can do is urge the company to to you know leave it oh. in a way that is going to benefit the people when you're gone. But you, nobody can force anybody here to do it. I, I'm not advocating well, that. It's just, yeah, but if we can apply well, pressure to you know public uh, public pressure to say you should do right by this town that that you know, that is going to be devastated by well, the loss, you should probably try to do that. Or they, or or the city buys it, right? City, county, yeah. whatever. If they come in, they buy it, and then they, you know, will buy it for some, you know, again, counties and ordinances are always known for getting a very good price on things, right? Uh, ha, ha, ha. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, 
you know, maybe they offend them with the price and then they control it and then put a deed restriction with it. Now everybody wins. You know, by the way, we'll handle the, um, we'll handle the demo costs. Right. Well, right? but yeah. And so now that runs up into like, I've seen it happen all the time where cities get into the land development business and uh, they never can pull the trigger on something. It takes years and years and years and years before oh, anything ever gets done. So, I mean, I don't know if that's the best way, but yeah, I mean, if you're trying to get because of the, the, the building, if you've never been to Canton, uh, the building, when I say it is like it is smack dab in the middle of downtown, it literally is. It's all I mean, the town is all like interwoven in this factory and uh I just I don't see how your downtown survives with with this big vacant husk of a building, uh, you know, still right in in the middle of you. Well, sadly, you can probably swing a dead cat and hit most of the Midwest. Yeah, and see every small town USA that has that very same story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the same thing with the textile uh, industry here. That's why, I mean, it, this is, look, I, I'm a believer, right, in, like, in capitalism, free markets, and so this is part of the natural cycle of things. I get that. Uh, but by the same token, like, you can also try, and, you can also try to be a good steward uh, to, you know, your society, to your area, and you, you can be civic-minded and try to help the town on your way out the door. You've made your decision. You know, try to help the people out as best you can on the way out the door and not saddle them with a problem uh, as you do so. That's all. Yeah, I don't disagree. But unfortunately, I'm going to take a guess. They're stockholders, um, although most of them would agree with your statement. When it comes with their stock dropping 10% versus going up 30, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're probably going to take a very different attitude. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Unless, of course, they live in the town. Then their attitude would be different. But I'm just saying. Yeah, Bye. yeah. You have a wonderful day. John, I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you very much. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let's go over here to Stan. Hello, Stan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Pete. How are you doing today? I am all right. How are you? Yeah, I, there, there's something that I, that I think has been a big problem for a long time, and that is is that the federal government involvement in basically setting trade policies, uh, setting tariffs, even to the extent how uh, they do monetary policy here, who they bail out, who they approve uh, government guaranteed loans to, and in some legislation even they did a thing where if you convert it to an electric car, uh, they would give you a tax break to do so, but they were giving union-based companies about almost twice the tax. They were getting the people to purchase their vehicles, their electric vehicles were getting twice the tax break as, say, companies like Tesla. And so what's happened over time is the government basically has benefited its donors and the donor class at the expense of any any state or any locality where, where their economy is market-based. Right, and then they wonder why there is a populist revolt, a backlash. And that's why this business is closing in Haywood County and, and going somewhere else. It's because it's been it's more, more beneficial, too. And so what happens is it basically it basically subsidizes those businesses, those entities in those locales. They like Michigan in terms of the auto industry at the expense of other states who don't do that or who try to be free market. Stan, I appreciate the call. All right. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, man. Thank you. Um, email here. It's a, yeah, it's an email to Pete at the Pete calendar show.com from Robin hood. No relation. Um, Pete, I am not a fan of eminent domain, but if it is for the common good, I'm sure a like-minded judge would even agree though. They really do not like taking property, right? Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
Jim says, Pete, since business closures occur because they are unprofitable, I wonder how much of the cost side of the Canton Mill P&L is directly brought by the green movement. I will tell you, Jim, um, my uh, my buddy Mark that I was talking to this morning about this, uh, he said that this company is all up in the ES&G stuff, which makes sense. It being a paper mill, right, and save the trees and all of that. So there's there's obviously some ESG implications to just their industry. I have not gone to look at how deep into the, the ESG stuff they are. However, uh, there is a, a connection here to the kind of government incentives that, uh, uh, that Stan was talking about. In a write-up by Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy Morrison back in August of 2014 at the Smoky Mountain News, in a last-minute turnaround, the North Carolina lawmakers wrapped up their short session with a passage of a bill granting Evergreen Packaging's paper mill in Canton $12 million for natural gas upgrades. And again, as uh, Corey Valancourt mentioned at the beginning of the uh, show, he said, you know, they have to go back and look through that. Uh, I think they call them JDIG, uh, JDIG. Uh, yeah, so I think that's what they call them, these, these grants, these incentive uh, deals that the state does. Are there clawback provisions? Now, if this was 2014, maybe the money goes out the door starting in 2015. So that's eight years. They get $12 million over eight years. Are they past sort of the, the, the lifespan of the deal? Have they fulfilled all of the terms that they needed to fulfill in order to keep the money? Or is there some sort of a clawback that then the state could re- could recoup some of that money? North Carolina Representative Joe Sam Queen, Democrat from Waynesville at the time, said the uh, said after the bill's passage, quote, the mill is safe. The mill is safe. Peace in our time. All is well. <laughs> he said the mill is safe. And the plant will be served with natural gas. There's another potential tie-in to the ESG stuff. If the plant is using natural gas and they shut down this plant, do they get some sort of point? Do they get a score boost on their ESG statements and their ESG scores? I hope we have a long and secure future for evergreen packaging and the jobs and workers of Haywood County. Uh, not so much, Joe Sam. No. The paper mill estimates... It'll cost $50 million to convert its coal-fired boilers to natural gas in order to meet stricter industrial air pollution limits coming down the pike. So they got state dollars to help convert off of coal to natural gas. And it turns out, right, that's not even good enough because now they're coming for the gas. So first, you had these companies getting incentives and paying the, the difference. They wanted $50 million, They said it was going to cost. And I don't know if they ever did all of the conversion. Evergreen Paper Mill is currently the largest industrial air toxin polluter in western North Carolina and one of the largest in the state, according to federal emissions reporting. It's a paper mill. And with the prevailing westerlies, right, the stuff goes into the air. And it it drifts across the mountains. And so I'm sure environmentalists are going to be very, very happy. The $12 million headed to the paper mill in Canton will be, oh, here, will be doled out over six years. All right, so they got all of the money. Now, I don't know if there's some sort of caveat in there that says you got to give it back. They actually wanted more. 
Former Governor Pat McCrory was willing to sign that. He was pushing for a larger economic incentives package, but that got carved out of the bill in order for it to pass the General Assembly, which it eventually did when it was reduced. (laughs) 